hey, you know what I believe? I believe every single person can make a difference and that we all have something amazing to offer the world. I believe in standing up for what matters and in putting one foot in front of the other. I believe courage is way more important than confidence and I'm addicted to seeing people break through what they once thought they couldn't. And that's why I started this podcast. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that anything's possible. I want you to find the courage to stand up and do your thing. Everything's waiting for you. You just have to believe it's possible. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where your courageous life starts. Hey guys, and welcome back to another week of the Get Off The Bench podcast. You know, everybody knows that we, East Gippsland, experienced some terrible fires at the summer of 2020, and not only East Gippsland, but whole parts of Australia. And out of that came so many heroes, so many people stepped forward to make a difference, despite their own fear or despite their own houses even going up in flames, and they came forward. But also in that space, there were so many children that experienced the fires and are still carrying the trauma and the grief and the triggers that go with that. And they need a way to process this. So my guest today, Kylie Miller, has come up with a solution, or or should I say one of the solutions. I think that in this kind of instance, there needs to be multiple ways to help kids process. But this one is fantastic. So let me tell you about Kylie. Kylie Miller has spent her career as an award-winning journalist and communications consultant. After trading the city life for a tree change in East Gippsland, Kylie experienced firsthand the devastating bushfires of the 2019-20 Australian summer. Her first children's picture book, Heroes of Black Summer, co-written by Craig Sheether and illustrated by Karen Erasmus, tells stories of heroism, courage, resilience, and generosity as the community recovered from the disaster. The book provides fire-affected communities with a tool to support healing and recovery and to help children process the trauma. Kylie has spent the past 18 months restoring her fire-affected Wairiwa property and working on a picture book series for Laneway Press. She lives by the Gippsland Lakes with her partner, Brett, and their two rescued greyhounds, Teddy and Dottie, and a 16-year-old cat called Molly. And you guessed it, Molly is the boss of them all. Welcome, Kylie. Thank you very much for having me, Karen. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I I, I love what you've done. It's, uh, you know, I think that... I don't think that people understand the trauma, you know, of living through a bushfire or living close to it or just it's it's we see it on the news, you know, and it's really traumatic. And I guess if you're living through it, you know, those sort of um, I guess the triggers, you know, never seem to go away. And it's particularly worse for the kids. And I think that, you know, just anything like what you've done, anything that can help the kids is absolutely massive so you've written this book well, I want to talk about the book in a minute but you've you've got a long history before that but I think the the most important thing the thing that you know I'm so interested in is you were doing um, journalism and living in the city and all that kind of stuff that people do and then you hit this point where it's a tree change you know and so moving to um, Philip I know you've moved to Philip Island in 2010 and what made you move to East Gippsland? You kind of like put yourself straight in the fire zone, you know, didn't you? <laughs> well, I think at the time that I moved, um, 
I was I was living at the time with someone who didn't want to live in the city anymore and I had a very, very urban existence. I lived probably the most urban of existences. I loved my food and wine festivals. I loved going to the cinema and I loved pub music and all of those sorts of things. I was working, living in, uh, living in Elwood and working at The Age and then The Herald Sun, so I had a long career in journalism. And I, I left basically... I guess it was a compromise to go to Phillip Island. It was close enough to the city that I could still go up there for work and for meetings and to do the things that I love to do. But within a year, we basically figured out that we didn't really want to go up to the city anymore. And I set up a way for myself to work remotely. So therefore, it didn't really matter. Uh, I had a family connection at the time up around the Gippsland Lakes. And so came up here quite a lot weekends and to visit and uh, fell in love with it basically and ended up finding a really great uh, place to live near the, near the lakes and yeah there was no going back now I really struggle to go to Melbourne even for a weekend even though <laughs> I do with my friends <laughs> I, I well and truly became you know the country girl I loved it got the chooks got the veggie garden the whole the whole works within a a, a heartbeat of moving here yeah, it, it's once you once you taste it, you don't want to go back. It's like, That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And if you do, I mean, it's all within Cooey anyway. It's not that difficult to get down to Melbourne if we want to. I find that I don't want to very often, but yeah. if I do want to, I can. Yeah. So I, it feels like the best of both worlds to me where I am at the moment. Yeah. So when you moved to East Gippsland, you moved to um, I'm gonna I'm gonna get this wrong, but I'm gonna have a crack. Wairiwa. Is that yeah. right? We 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 bought a place in Wairiwa, so it's ten acre hobby farm. It's the little dream pocket, yeah. uh, as far as I'm concerned. The Wairiwa Valley is just off the the highway between Now Nawa and Orbost, and it's just this beautiful little pocket of East Gippsland. Really, unfortunately, it was right in the path of the bushfires mm. in the summer of 2019-20. So that was a bit unfortunate. Mm. When you moved to East Gippsland, were you thinking about that sort of stuff? Did that even did did that cross your mind? You think, eh, maybe we shouldn't live up here just because of that? No, no, I, I think I didn't even consider it. And to be honest, it wouldn't change the way I think now either. I don't think. I think I grew up in on the far south coast of New South Wales um, and lived on a property in the bush in Tanja, which is between Tartar and Bermagui, and. We, we experienced fires as kids um, on multiple occasions and, in fact, Dad was um, in the local fire brigade. So I think I, I'm very mindful that there's risk when you choose to live the way we do. Um, we just do everything we can to minimise the risk, I guess. Like, we're very fire savvy and we were very lucky because we didn't lose our house during those fires. A lot of people did. Um, uh, through no fault of their own or, or or through no great doing by us either, I have to say. I mean, I think in this fire season it was all about luck. Um, as we discovered, they're, they're bigger and more ferocious than I remember as a child. Yeah. It's sort of you You have this imagination if you've never experienced one that, that it's just sort of it's like you, you, your bonfire in your backyard and it only sits about 10 foot tall and comes through slowly but it's uh 
it, it's higher than the, like I'm just looking at now at my gum trees and they're they'd have to be 200 foot 300 foot tall and it just just barrels over the top of them at a raging speed and I think it's just I think it's unimaginable unless you actually experience it and like you say I don't think anybody could have done anything better than they did you know to to save their homes and it's so tragic. Yeah. I know. Look, it was really tragic, and we weren't we weren't at our property the night of the fires. Um, we uh, our next door neighbour is the captain of the Wairiwa Fire Brigade, and and obviously lots of our neighbours also stayed to defend. So we did hear about what it was like. It was the middle of the night. There were 100 yeah. kilometre an hour winds. Our property was one of the first that was hit by a spot fire. We didn't really have trees there. It was the middle of farmland. So it really, there was just nothing that anyone could do. I think they were battling spot fires all over the place within minutes uh, in the middle of the night. Um, and in the end, it wasn't about saving property. It was about saving lives because it was so fast and so deadly. Yeah. So, you know, um, it was it was really unprecedented. I know that's a terrible word. We all hate unprecedented, but I think it just was. <laughs> it was, yeah, it, yeah, it was. I remember when we had the um two thousand oh god two thousand nine. I think you know the big Black yeah. Saturday fires, and at um, you know, I was in Trafalgar, and the, and the, there was ash coming. There were actually big balls of um hay band flying through the sky from about forty kilometers away. Do you know? And they were landing on my property causing spot fires like and it was just I, I you can't even fathom in your brain how can that actually still be a light coming from that that far away you know the heat in the Absolutely. air was just so intense and well even when we went up we went up days before the fire to get a whole lot of because we'd evacuated most of the valuables from the property and you know all the animals had been taken not our own animals our neighbors that all you know they were we we knew there was a fairly big risk even though we didn't think that our property would be affected um and even then there were black leaves all over the all over the very dead grass got it remembering of course we're in the middle of a very long drought too so the coffee was very dry um and there were blackened leaves that had been blown over from you know up past bucken somewhere a long way away it wasn't we even were sort of having conversations about oh could this be fire damage or not because the fire wasn't actually that close but clearly it was just the winds were, you know, next yeah. level. Yeah. yeah, it's so powerful. I think, you know, it's, um, you, you get distraught watching the TV, but to actually experience it, I mean, we're, we're, we're only, an, you know, an hour away. We're probably 40, 50 minutes from where the closest one was. We, we still, it, it, it actually, you know, I've talked about this on a lot on a lot of my episodes is it, is it, it it was the inspiration for starting this podcast, you know, because I, I felt so bloody helpless and so stressed, you know, that it actually knocked me off my perch and I've never been knocked off my perch before, but, um, you know, and, and I couldn't help. And, I, you know, it felt like everywhere I went to help, there was like, no, we don't need it. We don't need it. We don't need it. So my answer to it was to start a podcast because, um, you know, I I can inspire other people to help. So maybe even if I can't help, other people can be helping in in all sorts of places all around the world. But so but your um property had 
And your your response was to write a book, which we'll get into in in in, in a very short second. You had all these um, lime trees, you know, as a, you know, like a little orchard on your farm. Had, that's significant. We had a one of the reasons that we fell in love with the property before we bought it was that it had established orchards. The the guy that we sold it uh, that we bought it off um, had studied. Bought, uh, what was it? Uh, basically fruit growing he was a agricultural forester or something like that so he had planted a whole lot of um most of them were rare bread trees heritage fruit trees and things like that he was he used to make booze actually out of it so apples and pears which i think that was probably what got me over, got got the property over the line with my partner he has this vision of you know a still producing all sorts of amazing fruit fruit alcohol <laughs> but unfortunately yeah that was the area one of the orchards was fine down the bottom that's got all the apples and pears but the other orchard with all the citrus um, and olives and other things that actually got torched it was right where the fire was hottest so we weren't able to save any of those trees. I think two survived actually that have come back, um, two lemons. But that was, yeah, that was a really emotional thing in particular for me because where we had planned, you know, plans for a house and all the rest of it, that was that was right up there next to that orchard and it changed everything because the, the few trees that we had and, the view, the aspect, everything that we loved about that property kind of got burnt, really. And it was all those things. I remember writing in a social post at the time. Um, it was the intangibles for us. Yes, we lost fencing and tanks and infrastructure, but really it was the old wooden fence that was out the front that was covered in lichen. It was the great big tree that the kookaburras used to sit in. You know, it was all of those things. And the fruit trees in particular for me, I was really gutted because um, I like cooking. I had been collecting the citrus and making marmalades. We had a couple of great big quince trees and so I'd made, you know, 10 times my body weight in quince paste the previous year, you know, things like, and which all went mouldy, unfortunately. <laughs> that was a whole other story. <laughs> Weeks of work wasted. Um, but, but, you know, I really was very... I was gutted by that loss and one of the stories that we tell in Heroes of Black Summer is actually my story because, and this telling this always makes me cry, but um, after the fires I went down to Now and Now General Store, which is the closest shop to our property, and Sandra Huggins, who runs the, the store, told me that a local, I think a stranger actually, had come into the shop and bought a bottle of water with $50 and told her that he wanted to donate it. And that was really soon after the fires. And so she didn't want to take it for herself. So she set up a pay it forward scheme from the Now and Now General Store. And then everyone that had lost stuff in the fire basically then got it for free. So the store would give things. Um, in my case, I went in to just get some water because we had no drinking water. We'd lost all of our tanks and, and so forth. So I went in to get some water and there were there was a lime tree out the front. Um, because I'd lost the citrus orchard, I bought it and I went to buy it and 
Sandra gave it to me as part of the pay it forward scheme and I think I'll burst into tears and I'll probably burst into tears every time talking about it since. <laughs> um, and it took me about six months to plant the lime tree. I kept it in its pot and kept watering it because I was worried that I would, I just was really worried that something would happen to it. That to me was the symbol of life and renewal and, and hope. Um, and when we did eventually plant it, we then went into lockdown and I couldn't water it. So my little next door neighbour, Sam, who's six, mm. used to climb over the fence Aww. with a bucket and, and water the lime tree for us. And now it now it's thriving. Although it's a little bit surrounded by kaikuyu, it needs a bit of a trim. <laughs> but yes, I'm very... So that little lime tree is basically, for me, everything that is new about our property. Mm. I love it. it means That's some... It, you, you, and, and for anyone, you know, if you, if you have a look at the uh, picture on the website, that's it, that's the picture of Kylie holding that that lime tree. But you're talking about, you know, it's cumulative grief, is it? You know, it's all those little things. It's like, oh, the fence is gone. And then, you know, you just recover. You just get your breath back and you think, oh, the tree's gone with the kookaburras. And then it's like, oh, you know, yeah, I think it, it's just this never-ending series of, Oh, and there are people, you know, way worse than, than what you experience. It's kind of like you're losing their house and losing all their stock. And it's like, oh, that's gone. Oh, I, you know, I'll never get that back. And oh, and I think we 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 underestimate that the I guess the 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 impact it has on your your body, mind, and soul, you know, just those constant, oh, you know, all the time. And I don't think it ever goes away. I don't think it ever. Well, we, just, we still don't really know some of the things that we lost because the side of our shed was burnt and the uh, the contents of it were burned beyond recognition. So we it was a bit of a guessing game, like, well, what was that? And it's only every now and again, you know, someone will say, oh, where's the esky? Oh, that must, <laughs> that must have been the esky, that, that, you know, black heat or whatever it is, you know. And, and it's quite bizarre too because it was absolutely scorched really nothing left in the in the orchard area and for example there was a and it took me a little while to realize there was a composter there I, I didn't even find any melted black plastic like it was just completely gone you know um look in our case we were really lucky because most of the stuff um you know we didn't lose a house a lot of people did unfortunately it Wairiwa, um, half of the houses were lost and our next door neighbour lost 75 head of cattle too, which is obviously devastating for him and for all of the people that had to deal with that afterwards. Um, and these things I don't think you recover from. And I think everyone's recovering at different rates. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the COVID global pandemic came right on the back of it. So people haven't really had the opportunity to process the trauma from the fires in the way that they probably ordinarily would have, which is also unfortunate. But, you know, yeah. that's one of the reasons that we have done this book because this actually does give children an outlet and an opportunity to see some positives and to talk about it. And, you know, if that brings some good, then that's great. That's all we want. Yeah. Everybody wants to do something. You know, everybody wants to say, well, well how can I help myself heal how can I help the community heal um seeing 
and particularly we saw images on the you know tv of the kids at Malacuta on the beach and little kids in boats and you know like just standing in the water and that stuff like that and we've heard you know um we had Danielle McAlpine on as on another um podcast talking about filming down there you know and interviewing and we've seen all of that sort of stuff but I think there's still a lot of people that uh, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? You know, and clearly you were one of them, you know, is what what can I do? And I believe you, because you've got this background in communications, you were called upon, you know, to, to I don't know, provide information and that ended up coming to, hey, tell us how the book eventuated. Well, I think in, in my case, because I was a journalist in Melbourne for a lot of years um, and at the Daily Papers, the, the Age of the Herald Sun, an awful lot of my friends are still in that industry. So obviously when the fires happened, um, a lot of people were contacting me to find out if I could hook them up with local people that might talk about it. Um, because we were less impacted than others, we didn't lose our house, a lot of people did. Um, I was then asked by one of the local organisations if I would talk to some of the media myself so that I could present some face of the experience without further traumatising some of the people that really were frontline loss and, and damage, you know. So I did a few interviews that way um, and one of those was with Craig Schaefer who visited our property at Wairiwa with Australian Geographic magazine. Um, so in the course of that, uh, that's and it was the Australian Geographic that took that photo of me actually at the property with the lime tree. Um, in the course of that, Craig had actually Craig's based up in the northeast, and Craig had um, written a similar children's picture book uh, about Sparky, a little puppy that ran away and then came back after the fires. And Australian Geographic was in the process of publishing that, and. He rang me after we had done the story together for the magazine to see whether or not I would be interested in project managing a similar, a similar picture book project um, and co-writing it with him because I had obviously a lot of local background and knowledge down here and he knew I was a writer by profession. So he, yeah, so, I mean, I think at first, to be honest, I was a little bit reluctant because... I was really still in the thick of processing the loss and everything that was going on and COVID had hit and, you know, I just wasn't quite in the headspace, but I realised that it was probably a really good outlet to mm. to do it. And so in the end we, we did it and, you know, very gratefully actually it started me on a whole new direction. But it was through my business I then applied for a, a grant with Gippsland Primary Health Network, the One Good Community grants and was lucky enough to get one which helped cover some of the costs of publishing and the illustrator and so forth. Australian Geographic was on board already. Um, they were very interested in the project. So, um, yeah, so it just really went from there. I mean, Australian Geographic led the publication process so they secured the illustrator and the editing and all the rest of it. And, um, and I 
started to teach myself about how to write picture books, which I knew nothing about. It turns out it's quite a science and nothing at all like writing speeches for CEOs or features for newspapers. Yeah, it is <laughs> so, a science, 32 pages. And yeah. <laughs> so I've subsequently done a, a, a children's picture book writing course and I've just completed a masterclass as well. So oh, wow. Now, it's taken me in a whole new direction. I've actually subsequent, I've now written three more picture books. Oh. Wow, yeah. that's fantastic. Oh, that's, oh, well, see, there you go. You had this hidden <laughs> career that you didn't even know about. And I know. They, they often say that, you know, it takes a, a, a tragic situation or it takes a, 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 it might not always be tragic, but it takes some impactful twist of events, turn of events, you know, that, that we end up going, oh, my God, I didn't even know this was in me, you know, this, this, this whatever it is. I don't children you know I have nieces and nephews but mostly I have dogs <laughs> you know <that> was, <laughs> so so um fortunately they don't mind listening to picture books when I'm reading them out loud to them now <laughs> I give them a run <laughs> oh, they're the best audience <laughs> they're the best audience absolutely so they uh so uh, really it's been a very steep learning curve but it was a brilliant absolutely brilliant creative outlet for me now yeah. like that's what I've found I'm I'm still working sort of in a corporate and professional world full time, but I'm making sure now that I have at least one day a week where I can focus on some creative stuff, which is, I found it's just brilliant. It's really just helped me get through, I think. And, you know, as difficult as been that the book publicity, I've actually found um, a bit distressing early on. Like when I started to talk about it, I realised that I, in fact, hadn't processed it at all and it was a bit traumatising talking about it all. And to be honest, it wasn't just the loss. It was just the um, the feeling of insecurity. I think what the bushfire has done up here and probably everywhere in Australia, certainly a lot of places in Australia, mm. it's taken away our sense of stability and our sense of security and even the, the sense that we might know what's coming each summer. Like there's a feeling of dread, I think, that yeah. didn't used to exist, at least for me. Um, after the fire came through, uh, we also, strangely enough, had a visit from the Premier and the police minister, the emergency services minister and Andrew Crisp, a whole, a whole delegation of senior government people came to visit us and some other properties up around Wairiwa, just an under-the-radar under visit to see what the community needed. Um, and I remember telling Andrew Crisp that the thing that I most wanted was a different set of ringtones for the emergency app because I was ready to throw it at the wall because we spent that entire summer just with the, you know, constant beeping of leave now or, or you know, you're too late to leave or, you know, it really was just relentless. It was all day, every day. And I think my social media feed was full of the same thing, you know, my local friends all sort of stressed out by the, you know, the constant evacuations because I think, you know, it was six times or something over the summer and and a lot more get ready to evacuate even if we didn't. So Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I, I was saying the same to my partner because I, I've never, ever since 2009, you know, since I've... I dread summer, you know, it's kind of like, oh, God, here it comes. So we've got snakes, you know, by, tons of snakes, and we've got the bloody bushfires, and it's constant, you're, you're constantly on high alert. I'd rather slush around in the mud in winter, you know, and 
but it's um you're lying in bed you know and you know there's you know there's fires uh, you know there could be an hour away but we all know that an hour away fires can be upon you in an hour do you know it's not like it's yeah. that far away and and so all night you know you you, you don't want to sleep with your phone beeping but you don't want to turn it on silent in case something happens do, you know and it's it it is it's real and it and, it, and it, it gets you going every single time it goes off and I I was saying to her why don't we why don't they have a text a text or something you know or or something that rings you know that you have to answer this is emergency get out you know you've got an hour to get out or something that's a little bit more this is def- this is definitely for you yeah. We were actually, we were getting those as well. So we did get the text messages. Oh, did, yes. Yeah, so there were those as well. Um, but, but you're right, it was going, even those were pretty relentless, you know. There was a lot of it. Um, and it just was so long too. It was 91 days or something we were in, uh, you know, up here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I know some people started to turn the app off which, you know, I just considered not optional. So, but, yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I don't know what the answer is. I really don't. I I fear that this is just something that we're going to have to live with, unfortunately. Yeah, I think so too. It's Well, I'll tell you what the good news is because we're... (laughs) Because it's 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 hot. like there's no good news in fires, you know. At the end of the right. day, the the only good news is is things that come out of it, like your book, you know, where it's actually helpful to help people heal and particularly kids, because those those kids are going to be triggered by fire and by summers for the rest of their lives, you know. And and they're never going to get rid of it. However, any books and stuff like what you've got, you know, is movies, anything that's going to help them, it just kind of lessens the impact a little and just helps them to process it. I think if you can process it, you know, you can move through it quicker. But the 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 good thing, one good thing is that you, yes, it was published with um, Australian Ge- Geographic and, and within one week they did a second print run, which is, yeah. is really, that just goes to show the, how supportive everybody is and how... It was it was pretty amazing. I think um, I, I think that took everyone by surprise because we had only published we'd only printed two thousand. We just did a small print run, assuming that it would be mostly people from East Gippsland that would buy it. Um, but it, it certainly hit a nerve. So I had the launch. I think it it came out, it was first on sale on the Monday and I think I had the launch organised. Darren Chester launched it for me on the Friday. We had a whole lot of CFA representatives. We had people from uh, all over the place that were able to come still. It was getting a bit tight at that point with restrictions. Um, But um, by the time... um, Darren was able to launch it. The book had already sold out. So I think it sold out on the Tuesday, having gone on sale the previous Friday or something like that. Um, So they organised another print run and and got a... Fortunately, I had quite a few copies, so I was able to take copies to the launch to, to give to people there. But it was just... I think it just... Children don't need to be in East Gippsland to benefit from stories about heroes. And ultimately what this book is, although it tells real-life stories of real-life heroes, it actually just tells positive stories that come out of any fire situation. So 
In my case, it was the Pay It Forward scheme. Uh, there are a couple of kids from Sarsfield, teenagers, who lost their house and then went and volunteered to build fences for Blaze Aid. Um, there are the two police from Bansdale Highway Patrol who rescued a, an injured kangaroo and then drove lights and sirens through the, the fire to get it to a wildlife carer to save its life and, and clearly had been doing the same with people uh, before that. Um, it's, it's, you know, Dale up in uh, Malakuda who used his boat to go and rescue some campers that he knew was stranded or would be really critically endangered by a fire front on a remote stretch of beach um, out from Malakuta. It's about Patrick who went into the bush afterwards and rescued koalas from bush that had been burnt out near Malakuta. It's all of that. There are just so many of those stories. And I think the thing that was really overwhelming after the fires, and, and I know you've pointed out that you struggled to find a way that you could help. Everyone was so generous and so um, wanting to do something for us all up here that, you know, they actually had to stop people from visiting and sending donations because it was too much. There was nowhere to store it and, and people didn't need it. It was, it, you know, the generosity was overwhelming. And that was international. It was coming from everywhere. Um, you know, all the farmers who'd been struggling through drought for, for years were sending all their hay to East Gippsland for the, for the farmers who'd lost everything up here. I mean, it was just, it was pretty amazing. And there were just so many heroes that really, I think, I think really the, the book has struck a chord because people also are looking for positives at the moment. I think they want things to be good. They want people to be nice. They want to know about good things happening in the world. Um, so as well as allowing children to talk about the fires or encouraging children to talk about the fires and that's happening, um, I've had really positive feedback from friends who've got small children and also a friend who's a clinical psychologist who yeah. is just thrilled that there's this tool to help. Yeah. Um, I think as well as allowing kids to talk about the fires, it's allowing kids who even aren't impacted by the fires mm. to see other positives. So I think that's just my guess, but I think probably this was just a book that happened at the right time. Oh, I think it's a bit more than that. I think you're underplaying it, but but I, <laughs> I think it's... Uh, <laughs> but exactly what you're saying, you know, it's... Um, it, the, the good news, we need so much more good news, you know, because we and, and, and nobody saw any good images from from those fires straight away, like straight away, you know, it was it was horrible. And, and, and isn't it amazing how people do want to help people do want to be heroes, people do want to be generous, you know, people do want to be kind. But isn't it a shame that it takes a, a tragedy, you know, to to actually bring that out in people and I don't know whether there's no opportunities or, or, you know, whether we feel like we just can't be going around doing random acts of kindness. I don't know what it is, but I think we can. And it just is such a shame that, uh, you know, it takes that kind of takes that kind of thing to make it happen. And uh, but you said that aid was coming internationally, but, you know, and that's wonderful in itself. I, th I think that the Australian spirit, though, is, you, you know, we... we 
Uh, there's the things I don't like, like tall poppy syndrome, you know, we knock each other down and, you know, that that there's all that kind of stuff and, oh, she'll be right and, you know, we, we get away with stuff that inappropriate stuff we shouldn't get away with because we're just, you know, Aussies and that sort of shit. But I think at, at the end of the day when there is a, a tragedy, the, the way Australians do come together, you know, to help each other is... I think it's unmatched. I think it's phenomenal. Do you know it's? Oh, look, we certainly saw it after the fires and I'm sure we've seen it after plenty of other tragedies too. I think, unfortunately, I'm not entirely convinced that that's what we've seen during COVID. I think there has a little bit been a little bit more yep. each for themselves with yep. the COVID outbreak. Um, but, you know, without getting into all of that, let's stay on the positives. I think, you know... <laughs> The fire, the fire's positive and it's positive that eventually we'll be out of this pandemic. Let's look at it that way. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. I agree about COVID. I think I think it's just a matter of survival at the minute, which is unnecessary, but I think people have just gone a bit bloody mad. The other Sorry, way. I yeah. cut you off. Yeah, they've, just, they've just gone a little bit the other way, I think, but yeah. that's okay. We can remember that there are times when everyone's brilliant and they all pull together. <laughs> yeah, I think the whole world's gone a bit bloody crazy. Yeah, at the moment. Uh, exactly. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, yeah. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, this book, as I mentioned, was published with support from a grant. And the real positive that also came out of that, that it, it was a the One Good Community Wellbeing grants were actually to promote community resilience and, and wellbeing. And, um, because of that, we've been able to donate 500 of the copies of the books to local communities. So I'm quite, that was something that we were really thrilled about. We negotiated that with Australian Geographic and I've, I've, all, I've actually worked out the list. Bushfire Recovery Victoria is actually helping me with the distribution. Um, we've got the list of where they're going to go to. It's mostly schools and libraries, community centres, that kind of thing. Unfortunately, each time we go to organise the distribution, we get locked down. So, so we, they haven't actually been distributed yet, but they're all in my garage ready to go. <laughs> so eventually, I was really pleased about that. And the other thing that we've been able to do is donate. There's not a lot of money in children's books. No. <laughs> so I did, I did tell them to manage their expectations about actual figures, but we are donating 25% of the proceeds as well to the Gippsland Emergency Relief Fund. So they've already got their first check, I believe. So I was quite pleased about that as well because they really do great work in Gippsland during all of these emergencies. Yeah, they really do. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, hopefully it just keeps selling and selling and selling because it's not the sort of book that's um, got a got a a shelf life you know because it's there's it's it's all it's about goodness it's about heroism it's about how do we how do we do good things for the community that's never going to die well i jeez i hope that's never going to die out but um i, I think hope it's not Nah, it it we we need it. God, we need it more and more. You know, when you were talking about all these local heroes and you were naming them, and we didn't see a lot of them on the TV. We saw some, you know, we we but they weren't sort of uh well, some were some were flagged as heroes, but some we just saw like part of the the you know the 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 chaos, I guess, you know, like the guys going out in their boats and you didn't sort of see, hey, this is 
this is Dale, he's a hero because he saved these people. Do you, you know, it was just, you saw the footage of the boat going out. And did you struggle? Because as you say, there's a science to kids' books and you've only got X amount of pages. Did you struggle with um, too many heroes? Like There were... I think the thing that we had, there are a lot of the same sort of hero, so it's difficult to pinpoint one or two. That was the thing. We needed to get the mix right. Um, and I was really conscious that we all love the CFA. We all know that the CFA are heroes. They're heroes every summer, and, frankly, they're probably heroes all year round. It's yes. just summer that we're very aware of them. I think what I hadn't... What, what we wanted to also show were people like the DELT crews that were going in before the fire and rescuing critically endangered species and taking them to safety so that they could be released again when it was safe. Um, I wanted to also, you know, Parks Victoria who were flying overhead and reseeding and surveying damage. Um, there were just a lot of those sorts of heroes that we also wanted to showcase. So I think the thing that I found, I did find it a little difficult to have left out some of the high-profile heroes in, in having to include or really wanting to include the heroes that we weren't thinking about. Um, one of the things that, I, that really struck me during all of this, my partner works with the police in Bansdale and... I subsequently, as a result, have quite a few police friends and I'd gone out to dinner with one of them after the fires. She was looking around the corner and she was saying how absolutely awful it was for her um, having to stop people at the checkpoints um, from going oh. to save their pets. And so, you know, we don't oh. think about that. We, You know, you might think police are heroes or you might just think it's, a cop in a car stopping you from doing something that you want to do. But what you're not thinking about is the emotional impact on that person and how gut-wrenching it also is for them. Um, yeah. And they're the ones that were going in and clearing towns beforehand basically to make sure that everyone was out or that if people hadn't survived, that they were the ones that found them before other people did. Um, there are all of those, there are an awful lot of those stories that I was just hearing day in, day out. The fear and the heroism and the genuine emotion. I think the thing with a lot of our heroes, and by when I talk about these heroes, I'm talking about the heroes that work in this day in, day out. They're paid, the firefighters, the police, the ambos, the, the emergency services, the DELT crews. We're forgetting that a lot of those people actually were evacuated themselves. So their own houses, their own pets, their own families were all under threat at the same time as they were working 12-hour shifts, you know, for 30 days straight, quite a lot of them. Um, so I think that was the sort of heroism that we probably didn't include that we could have. Uh, and I do, I have actually tried to mention some of that when I've talked about the book because I just think that people don't realise that this is the sort of stuff that these people do day in, day out. They really are heroes, you know. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I, can't I can't even imagine the, the stress for them, you know, uh, particularly I've got to evacuate other people, yet I know my house is on fire. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I oh, my, 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 you know, I have to leave my horse and, ah, uh, 
that that just break. I can't even see. I just tear up every time thinking about it. But I can't even yeah, imagine the. And it was very yeah. real, you know. It was yeah. it was very real, and it was for a very long time. And you know, a lot of those little towns as well. Um, after the when the book first came out, one of the first places that we we did first places we went was up to Buchan, so that I could give a copy of the book to Ray, the local cop up there, and the and the Buchan pub who kept their doors open. Yeah. Um, you know, there are there are just so many. A lot of these places have just got one one police officer or two police officers, they know everyone. You know, I think Victoria Police actually did a fantastic series of videos after the fires about the involvement of their members in these small towns. Ken River's tiny, you know, they mm. stayed up there. You know, they really do. This is not, it's not an eight-hour-a-day, no. five-day-a-week job for the people that are working and paid to work in these bushfire and emergency situations. So I think that really struck me very, very hard. Yeah. During all of it. Oh. And I think oh. the other thing that you forget too is that these people all have accesses to radios for work. So, you know, they're actually hearing in real time the the, the danger and the trauma that's happening in their own communities, you know, when they're quite yeah. often at work or evacuated. I, I don't know. I, I couldn't do that job. Like, you know, I, I have so much admiration for, and particularly particularly CFA, but all of them, you know, it's yeah. like I don't know how I, I look at some of those. Um, I saw some footage, you know, of the trucks from the guys themselves within the truck taking the, and I just, I, I think I'd have a heart attack. Like I honestly think that I'd be that bloody scared, you know, well, I know that they're all very well trained, but there's certainly, um, you know, I think in the case of Wairiwa, obviously our fire brigade at Wairiwa was, um, had been working really hard for a very long time, um, but on the night of the fire they were actually ordered to put the tankers away and it was about saving lives and yeah. they weren't, you know, everyone was evacuated from the area. So they went, I think then they all went to their own homes and, stayed to try and fight their own homes but uh, to save their own homes and their own um, families. Um, in Wairiwa, in fact, everyone ended up getting evacuated down to the community hall and I think they then fought to just keep everyone alive and safe in the community hall. And I know yeah. those sorts of stories were coming out everywhere. I think the same thing yeah. happened at Buchan as well. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember where which hall it was, but I remember seeing footage of that, you know, that, that just yeah. everyone trying to keep this one one hall. Uh, it was the fire station, I think, where everyone was trying to, at the fire station. Hmm. No, maybe I'm wrong. But I'm anyway. I'm not sure I, where I, that was, but I'm sure it happened because it was happening all over East Gippsland. Yeah, some amazing, some amazing stuff. But but I, I absolutely love this and I love that, well, I hate that I hate that we have to, um be faced with this it is we all know Australia we all know what it's like you know we live here we particularly Gippsland the droughts floods fires like we know we know it's we live here and we know that that's what we can expect but it doesn't mean we like it it doesn't mean we cope well with it you know it's and you can never get over the trauma but the fact that people like you and others have 
done something positive, you know, just to try and relieve some of the stress. The stress will never go away. People are always going to be impacted by this um, ongoing ongoing triggers and, you know, that sort of stuff. And But anything that comes out that is going to be helpful and particularly for the kids because, you know, we want our kids to grow up as functional adults, you know, that, that have a, a happy and meaningful life and, you know, if, if some of their stress isn't dealt with, you know, with uh, things like your book, you know, it, it makes it triply hard for the poor buggers to manage. So I, I absolutely applaud you for what you've done. And, you you know, you may at times think that it's not much. Oh, it's just a book, you know, I just did my little bit. But, you know, every little thing that happens like that is a piece of the puzzle, you know, that's, that's just mending people and putting people back together again and, I think it's so valuable. I do feel super proud of it. I don't mean to, you know, undercook it. I do think I do think the success is, you know, I think there is an there is a lot of luck in it. I, I do think that. Um, however, I do think it's also a very good product. And I think Karen Erasmus, the illustrator, is brilliant and she's done a really beautiful job with illustrating it. Um and, but I do also really think it is a product of its times. Like it's it's the perfect time for this sort of yeah. little book to come out. And I'm, I'm kind of hopeful the next ones are too. The next, the the first one off the rank, I've written a series of three about my rescued greyhounds. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, <laughs> The first one, Albert the Greyhound Who Loved to Run, is actually the true story of... Um, the first greyhound who we adopted who scaled our seven-foot fence at Mills Farm <gasps> and was on the lamb for nine months, for nine weeks while the whole community rallied together to try and get him back and we did eventually get him back. Oh. Um, so that tells that story. It's the, 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 the nervous, the anxious rescued hound who eventually finds his happy home. Oh. So I'm doing those. I'm, I'm using the dogs as uh, my inspiration, and they're a lot happier, I think. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure that there will also be one about Teddy who farts his way around the world. <laughs> I'm saying that will be a true story too. <laughs> <laughs> they're the sort of books that are fun, you know, particularly with animals. Kids love reading books about animals, you know, and then they they imagine themselves in 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 that story. And I, I hope they're really successful. I really do because there's nothing quite as nice as bringing joy and pleasure, you know, to to a kid and to to helping them I guess maintain their childhood you know we've got social media and all sorts of stuff at the minute well it's never going away but it just it bombards them you know just constantly bombards them and it 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 draws them away from being a kid you know and they miss a lot of that innocence of their childhood and I think that these kids storybooks are just ways for them to to sort of get back into that space and you know to imagine play in the imagination space and I think it's wonderful I think you can't go wrong and I'm so glad you're doing it I'm glad it's pushed you into a different area oh, I love it I'm really really challenged and stimulated by it and because it is such a science I really had no idea how much work went into it you know yeah um seriously my first the first of the greyhound books is now up to 22 drafts that's wow yeah and it's not submitted yet you know it's, it's close it's it's at the 
final editing stage, but it's that's how long it's taking. <laughs> wow. And are they going through a publisher? Like yeah, through- Laneway Press. So, uh, yes. yes, there's a publisher on board in Melbourne. So, yeah. and um, I believe that Karen, who did the illustrations for um, for Heroes of Black Summer, will be illustrating the Greyhound series as well, which I'm absolutely delighted about because yeah. she does the most beautiful animal illustrations. It'll be it'll be a very different style. It's a different style of book, but um, yeah, I can't wait to get this series out into the world. I really can't. And if there are there are so many crazy greyhound owners like me, <laughs> who you know, who hopefully like and recognise the quirks of the greyhound breed, they're very strange dogs. <laughs> they're the dog you that you get when you really don't want a dog you just want a cat or a couch potato yeah I I know so many people who have rescued greyhounds and they reckon they are the best the absolute best dog and they're you know it's a it's a shame that they're um you know it's a shame that they're bred to be treated so shitfully and you know that's my opinion about that but um thank god there's greyhound rescue places and thank god there are people who don't see them as savage bloody you know animals that walk around you know killing rabbits and god knows what they're absolutely beautiful beautiful dogs and i guess you know the more people that have got them like you and the more stories that come out about them the more people can actually see that they've been given a name that is not accurate to what they are and you know we can maybe more people will adopt them which would be bloody fantastic well, my two mostly spend their days upside down on the sofa with their legs. Yeah. <laughs> Far too. <laughs> yeah, that's how I. That's what I hear most of them do. But you've got to you've got to have several sofas if you've got. To. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we had to buy a new sofa. We did actually yeah. buy a new sofa. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely lo- absolutely love it. And so, guys, you can get the um, Heroes of Black Summer at all good bookshops and online at major book retails and it's also available on the Australian Geographic site and soon to be you'll be able to get the Greyhound series as well and sure they'll be online at all good online bookshops and got and and other good bookshops but I've loved this I've absolutely loved this I'm, I'm so glad you've joined us I have one last question because this is the get off the bench podcast to inspire people to take action so what advice would you give anybody who feels like they have something to offer towards the community, like not just fires, just something to build their community, but feel like what they have to offer isn't good enough or it won't make a difference? What advice would you give them? Oh, look, I, I just think back yourself. I, my, my personal view about that is that anyone that wants to give in any way can and should and it doesn't need to change the world. It just needs to change one person. And if you reach that one person and it helps that one person, then your job is done as far as I'm concerned. And clearly I'm thrilled that this book is doing well. And this is a not-for-profit project for us. So this is not about the money. This is about getting the book out there. I've done absolutely everything I can to let people know about this book so that kids can get it and kids can hopefully get some benefit from it. And the fact that it is doing well and reaching all of those kids um, just makes me happier. Every little tiny bit of work that we've done towards this book has been paid off in droves just because I know that there are at least a couple of kids in my world that have benefited. Yep. 
I'm 100% with you. It's back yourself and every little thing we do makes a difference. And that last bit is the most critical. If something that you do helps one person, then that is successful. I think we've got terrible metrics for success and our metrics should just be, did that, did that thing I do help one person? And if it did, the success is nailed. You know, it's... Uh, I read amazing. something recently and it was, I think it was a meme and it was a little bit sort of shallow, but it was a brilliant, it was, uh, and I can't remember who the, I think it was based on a philosopher, but it was a someone saying to a little girl, why are you throwing that one starfish in to the oh, water? Yeah. Have you seen that one? I have. And yeah. Throw it, make a girl, it won't make a difference. There's a whole beach full of starfish that have been washed up on the beach. And she said it might not make a difference to all of those starfish, but it will make a difference to the ones that I'm throwing back. And I just that is so true. It's absolutely true. If you help one person, and you know what? In this case, it helped me. If I'm that one person, then it was worth doing. Yep. A hundred percent. And often people will write books or do things because they couldn't find it anywhere else. You know, that's another thing. I couldn't find that book I wanted, so I wrote it. Or I couldn't find that thing I needed, so I did it. And and you've done that. I think I think that's the that was actually the other thing, the feedback that we got from Gippsland Primary Health Network of all of the one good community grants that went out to the community, and it was millions of dollars. Um, Ours was the only one that was just purely for kids. And I think a lot of people forget the impact on children of natural disaster because there's been so much trauma. There's been a lot of talk about mental health. There's been a lot of talk about support for the community. But I think people are aware that kids are impacted, but there wasn't a lot of tailored support Mm. for kids. It was for communities. And so... Yeah, this is a really good way. I'm really thrilled that this is able to help kids. Yeah, I'm, I'm wrapped too. I think that we've got this um, attitude. Kids are resilient. They're tough. They're, they're only kids. They don't understand the full uh, impact. They'll get over it. You know, they're resilient. Bullshit. Uh, you know, we, we've got to, we, we have to be better at supporting the kids in because they don't talk about it. They play, you know, they go and they play outside and they do stuff and we think they're not impacted, but they, they're terribly impacted by stuff. And, uh, well, I love that. You, I love that. I wish there were more that had have had kids but it, you know at the end of the day you've done your bit and um, hopefully inspires pe- more people to think about the kids as as people are reading it hopefully they'll think god what else are these kids going through do you know how else can i help hopefully it builds hopefully more stuff builds upon your book you know and the, the kids really do get a fair fair go from it so i love it i love it so Love it so much. Well, I'm going to put a link to buying the book in in the um, in the show notes, but the, there's also heaps of other places. Just Google it. Um, I've had a look at it. It is a fantastic book. The illustrations are fantastic. The story is so good, easy and good to read, and it's hopeful, it's bright, and it really makes you feel great about the people that live in our community. So fantastic. Now, where can people find you if they need to reach out? By the way, nobody reach out and ask her to write a book. She's not doing it. She's already writing her own book. So <laughs> she's busy, but but where can people connect with you if they need to? Um, I've got a website for business, which is cupcakecommunications.com.au. Um, that's got contact details on it, but LinkedIn is probably the best place. I will eventually set up a website for my picture books, but I haven't got to that yet. <laughs> I've been busy writing them instead. 
Well, when you do, um, let me know and I'll add it to the show notes in case anybody goes back and listens to this, you know, in the future. So, but on LinkedIn, it is Kylie Miller. So that's, and I'm going to have the links in the show notes. But Kylie, thank you so much for joining us and sharing this. It's just been wonderful to talk to you. And I'm really wrapped, really wrapped to have spoken to you and really wrapped to have um, shared your story and to be able to have this conversation with you because what you're doing is just, you know, we can't get enough of it. It. we really can't get enough thanks of it. Karen I really appreciate it I, I it's been a great conversation really lovely to be able to see you face to face once upon a <laughs> time we wouldn't have been doing that no exactly but I, honestly I've really loved it and um uh, you know stay in touch and let us know how the other books go and uh thank you thank you very much much appreciated my pleasure thanks heaps <laughs> see ya bye Oh, guys, that was fantastic. I absolutely love that she's written that book. And as she said, you know, it's good for her healing, but it's going to be good for the healing of so many people and already is by the sound of it. And particularly the kids, they really need a way to process the trauma of, of anything that they've been through. I think any of these books are fantastic. And I also think that the uh, Greyhound books coming up is going to be a winner as well. So keep an eye on that. And I'm going to put all these things in the show notes anyway and when Kylie does get out the new books I'll actually come back and add that link as well but I really hope you've got something out of that and the biggest thing well not the biggest thing but the bit at the end where Kylie says if you do something and you help one person then that's successful and I couldn't agree more so I hope you've enjoyed it again thank you very much for joining me so go grab yourself a copy of Heroes of Black Summer And I will see you next week. See ya. Hey, thanks for joining me. It really does mean the world to me. Now, if you or somebody you know is doing amazing things, make sure you send me an email to info at getoffthebench.com.au. That's info at getoffthebench.com.au. Otherwise, head on over to my website at kerenvaughan.com and tinker around there a bit and send me a message. Okay, catch you next week.